Hello, Christchurch. It's a delight to be with you today as we gather for worship. While we're not together, certainly as you can recognize in the space behind me, we are together in spirit as we worship in truth as well. I've been very amazed at how quickly the commercials on TV have changed given the situation that we're in with our shutdown of, because of our COVID-19 virus. Uh, it seems like every commercial that I see on TV now begins and ends uh, in a certain way. They seem to all begin with a phrase, something like this, in these uncertain times or in these difficult times, and then they go out to go on to lay out whatever it is they're, they're marketing, selling, whatever they're trying to do in their commercial. And then they seem to end the same way too, with something along these lines. Hey, we're all in this together. We're all going to get through this together. I want you to keep that in mind as we look at uh, 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 2 through 24 this morning as we continue our study of the person, the prophet uh, Elijah, because we are going to get through these uncertain and dark times. But how are we going to do that? I think we find the answer to that right here on this particular uh, page. So if you haven't yet read First um, Kings 17. Let me encourage you just to push pause right now to read that and then leave a copy of the scriptures open because we're going to move through that. And I'm going to refer you back to that uh, from time to time. But let's begin now with prayer. Father in heaven, we pause simply to thank you that you still speak to us. You do speak to us through your word your holy infallible and inerrant word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. So we pray even today that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful and beautiful things from this portion of your holy law. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Many of you may not be aware of this, but before I went to Covenant Seminary in the PCA, I attended another seminary in another denomination. I only lasted at that seminary for one semester because of situations like this. I'll never forget one particular day, we were standing in a common area waiting to go into our classroom, and I was talking with two other gentlemen, one that was like-minded with me. We believed in the infallibility, the inerrancy, the authority of God's holy word, and then another gentleman that didn't hold to the same uh, doctrine that we did. They were talking back and forth, and he was asking him about various passages in scripture. What do you do with this? What do you do with this? He finally just stopped and said, what do you do with all of these passages that seem to be so clear as to what God is commanding us to do? I'll never forget the response of the other gentleman. He paused and then he just looked at the guy and said, literally said, when I come across passages like that that are difficult or I just don't understand or I don't like, I just take out my black pen and I put a line right through it. I don't think any of us would be that bold as to say that that's what we do with our copy of the scriptures, that we actually take a line and mark out the things that we don't understand or that we don't like. But that said, friends, think about this. I know in my own life, perhaps in your life as well, many times the things that I do, the actions that I do in my life as I live life, don't reflect that I am actually trusting in what the scriptures say. Sometimes what the scriptures say and what I do are at odds with one another. I may not be so bold as to take a pen and mark out the scripture, but sometimes I read scripture. I believe that that is true, but then the way I live my life 
doesn't reflect that I am trusting in that passage that I say is true. That probably defines a lot of us, if not all of us, because of the fall, because of the world that we live in today. But we got good news because that's exactly what we read about here in 1 Kings chapter 17. What we find here, let me set the context for you, as Pastor Andrew did last week, starting with the introduction to the, the prophet Elijah. Uh, we, we started with the, the context of we're in a place now with the decline of the Israelites, with God's chosen people, with the rise of idolatry and, and Baal worship. Sin has become the normal. Trusting in Yahweh has become the abnormal. And it is to that, or into that, that Yahweh, God himself, calls the prophet Elijah to go and to speak his word. As a prophet, he is speaking for God to people. But he wants to show, and what we find in this passage is that, that Yahweh is a lot bigger, greater than Baal himself. And not only that, but uh, Yahweh is greater than, uh, than one people in one place at one particular time. God is revealing through the prophet here in this dark and uncertain time that God is the God of all life. He is the creator of all things. He is the, the one who saves his people uh, and speaks truth to his people by his holy, infallible, and inerrant word. Our God is greater, is bigger than we could ever imagine. And that's what he is saying here, sending the prophet to this uncertain, dark time to say, if the people would listen to me, I will speak truth to them. I will speak hope to them. He's calling for individuals to trust what he says. And not only to trust what he says, but to rest in the fact that we are in him in Christ today, Christ in us, us in Christ, we are resting in the fullness of knowing that our God speaks truth to us. So let's think about that as we move through this chapter. Verse 1 of chapter 17 actually does belong with the end of chapter 16, as Pastor Andrew said last week. But what we find here is that God comes into this dark place through the prophet Elijah, to speak his word. And that word gives us confidence. It gives us uh, the revelation that he cares for us. And it also brings great conviction whereby we believe it to be true and we begin to live it out in our daily life. So verse 1 of chapter 17 gives us a picture of chaos. And we find this back and forth in this chapter from chaos to calm, back to chaos, and then back to calm. What is it in Elijah that allows him, equips him, enables him to stand before King Ahab and declare God's word? We find it in verse 1. In verse 1, Elijah is introduced, and as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, he says, before whom I stand, there is not going to be any rain until I say so. It's only because the word of God speaking to the prophet himself gives him the confidence now to stand before this king. This king that we'll read about next week in chapter 18, verse 4, his wife Jezebel was known for killing the prophets of God. That was her delight. And so what enables uh, Elijah to go stand before this king 
except for the fact that he believes God's word, God's word is true and it gives him great confidence to stand in his presence and declare that word chaos, that he would stand in front of this king who we read last week, remember, was more unholy than any of the other kings all combined, utter chaos. But then we get to verse 2, and we find a phrase that is repeated now through this chapter. And here's the first use of it in, in verse 2. The word of the Lord came to him, came to the prophet Elijah. And in verse six or verse 5, we see his response, and so he went. The word of the Lord came the first time in our text as it appears. Elijah simply appears on the scene unannounced, and now Elijah disappears unannounced as well. And this disappearance is for over three years. As we read in chapter 18, verse 1, in the third year, and as we're going to see here in just a moment when we look where Jesus quotes this same occurrence, he says it's three and a half years. Elijah is gone now for three and a half years, having stood with great confidence in times of chaos before King Ahab, now a time of calm. Three years, he moves to the east side of the Jordan River. This is a great picture, friends, of God's timing versus our timing. I don't know about you, but I know for me, I don't want to wait many times on the Lord. I've already got it all figured out. I know what he needs to do. He simply needs to listen to what I lay out before him, and then he needs to act according to the timing that I give to him as well. Perhaps you're no different. But this three and a half years is actually a time that is given for Elijah, for his growth in grace, for his continued confidence in the fact that God speaks truth to him. Look what the passage says. God promises that ravens are going to take care of him, are going to feed him. In addition to that, he drinks from a brook that never runs dry for three and a half years unclean ravens that are feeding the prophet, that give the prophet food not only in the morning, but in the evening as well. We read that in verse 6. They brought bread and meat in the evening. They brought bread and meat in the morning. He drank from the brook that was there. Here is a picture of God's timing and preparation, preparing the, the prophet to do what he has called him to do, commanded him to do, and that is now in confidence to trust that his word actually is true. He does that very thing and actually displays himself, the, the prophet, as a, a picture of Israel. You know, many times we hear about this is a, a type of Christ in Scripture as we're looking uh, at an individual and we say this, he's a type of Christ that is to come. When Jesus comes, he fulfills this very thing. But Elijah here is a type of Israel. He's on the east side of the Jordan River where the children of Israel wandered in the desert. There in the desert, they were given quail. They were given manna. And they were drinking water from the rock. And then they eventually crossed over the Jordan River as it parted on dry soil into the promised land. And that's what we find as our passage moves on. Can you say, friends, today, where you are in this uncertain time, this dark time, this difficult time in which we find ourselves, can you trust in the fact that God is preparing you, preparing me 
for a, a deeper confidence in his infallible and holy word, whereby we would now, in this quiet time, grow as we are reading his word, trust him more passionately, trust him more deeply? Can we see that this is a time of preparation for us, and we can utilize this time now by listening to God's word as he speaks to us through it? The second phrase then, the word of the Lord, comes in verse 8. Look at it. The word of the Lord came to him. He says, now arise and go to this particular place where I am sending you. The brook dries up. And so we find that now Elijah crosses over the dry land back into the promised land, but he's moving all the way across the promised land to the Mediterranean Sea. But listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He put it like this, Brooks will dry up even if godly men are being sustained by them. Is there anyone here whose brook is drying up? Has it quite dried up already? Still trust you in God. For if the ravens are put out of commission, God will employ some other agency. And certainly he does, doesn't he? He moves the prophet from this place of calm back to a place of chaos, and he provides for him through an unlikely widow. But he's sending him, look where he's sending him. He's sending him back to Sidon. We read about this place last week in chapter 16. If you look back there, we find that uh, that's exactly where uh, Jezebel grew up. In uh, verse 31, Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of, the, uh, uh, of, the, uh, of Sidon. He's taken the, the name Baal into his own name, Jezebel's father has. Uh, this is the epicenter of Baal worship, and you'll remember what Pastor Andrew said last week. This isn't, Baal isn't one individual, but multiple gods, several gods, and they bowed down to each one of them. Jezebel's father took that name, Baal, into his own name, and this is the very place where God is calling the prophet Elijah to go, into the epicenter of Baal worship, going to Sidon. And in this chaos of going to this particular place, he goes there for a specific widow, one widow, who's now, who now experiences chaos as well, doesn't she? Elijah approaches her and says, hey, that very little oil you have and that very little flour you have and that cake that you have in your hand right now, give it to me. Before you go and bake a cake for yourself and for your son, bake some for me. What's going on here? What, what, is, what, are we, what are we reading in this particular passage? Well, Jesus answers that question for us, actually, in Luke chapter 4. Let me turn there and read this particular passage to you. Jesus is saying this. He says, But I tell you the truth. There were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up three and a half years and a great famine came over all of the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath, to the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. 
When they heard these things, all the synagogue was filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill in which the town was built so that they could throw him off the cliff. Jesus uses this very story to say, Israel had all kinds of widows, but God spoke to the prophet Elijah and sent him to one particular widow who was outside of Israel. He could have sent him to all of the widows of Israel, but he sent him to one widow outside of Israel in Sidon. What's going on here? Here it is, friends. This is the beginning of the picture that we see that God is not calling to himself one people in one place at one time, but every tongue, tribe, and nation. As Paul will tell us in Romans chapter 11, the engrafting in of the Gentiles into Israel, becoming the new Israel with Jew and Gentile alike. God is revealing to himself through his word that he is bigger than one particular group of people. He is Yahweh over all people. He is the creator of all people. And here is a picture. Uh, Elijah becomes the picture of Israel again. That God speaks through Israel hope to all nations. And now through Elijah, he speaks hope in this very dark place inside where he goes. He is going there to declare the word of the Lord. In this chaos, he is going as a picture of God's beauty, as God's riches of his grace and mercy to all nations, every tongue, tribe, and nation. And so we read then the third use of this phrase in verse 14. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel. And now in this chaos, not only for the widow, but Elijah, as he goes into this very dark place inside, and suddenly we find calm again. God, through his word, says, Elijah, go. Go to this particular place. Find this woman, this, this one widow, and she is going to take care of you unlikely widow, just like an unclean raven. The unclean ravens that would bring Elijah bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, now through an unlikely widow outside of Israel, the prophet is going to be cared for. God would reveal through his word, reveal how he's going to care for his prophet and his people. But I want you to see something, friends. What we write, read in verse 14, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty. Think about that. God is not saying to the prophet or to the widow, Hey, I'm going to care for you because now look over there in the corner. You've got a 25 bag, a pound bag of flour, and you've got one of those wedding at Cana uh, vessels that, that Jesus is going to turn to wine someday, now full of oil. He doesn't give them this beautiful picture of a great big bag of flour now and a great big abundant use of oil. But he says to them, the flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not run dry. It is the drama of the daily provision that God is speaking to the prophet and to the widow. Every day she's using the same jar and the same jug with a very little amount in it, and yet it never does run dry.
It's the same thing that Jesus taught us when he taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. Friends, can you say that about your own life? That, that you see in your life, has God revealed to you how he uses unclean ravens and unlikely widows to care for you? I, I know for me personally, I said this in the podcast the other day, I'm, I'm closer now to retirement. I'm single digit years to retirement now than I have closer than I've ever been before. And, and with the COVID-19 uh, crisis that has hit us now, I find myself constantly looking on my telephone at what the market, the Dow Jones is doing in that particular day, because I've seen in my retirement through the PCA, this decline daily of my money that's in there that I was going to use to retire on someday in the future. I have very little concern or thought about actually God is promising to care for me in unlikely ways when I run to my telephone over and over again to check the market to see, and then, and then not only check the market, but then check my account to see if I've lost or gained that particular day. See, I'm not taking out a black pen and marking out the fact that God promises that he cares for me, but my actions really do show something different. And I wonder if yours do too. So many times when the Lord promises through his word to care for us in unlikely ways, still I think I've got it figured out. And here the prophet and the widow are told by Yahweh himself, watch me care for you. Let me reveal to you in this daily drama of my provision for you day after day after day. Well, that brings us to the last section then. Not only does the word of God give us confidence that we can stand in times of chaos and prepares us through times of calm, and not only does the word reveal uh, that God cares for us in chaos before kings that are in opposition to us or in the calm, the daily drama of knowing that he's taking care of us, but now the word of the Lord brings great conviction. But that phrase doesn't come at the beginning of the third section. It actually comes in the very last verse, verse 24, the last verse of our text. But it does return to chaos at the beginning, starting in verse 17. Because this widow woman, whose son she was caring for as well, now dies. She, uh, she, her, her life is now uh, filled with chaos because she had been hearing the word through the prophet. She had been trusting uh, through this daily drama of provision that her flour and her oil had never run out. And then suddenly her son dies and her world is in a tailspin. But not only for her, but for the prophet as well. Look at verse 20. Elijah cries out to the Lord, what are you doing, Lord, he's saying. Why would you take this child of hers? His life is in chaos. Her life is in chaos. I think many times, friends, see, when we, when we come to the understanding that that scripture is true, and we, we trust that it's true, and we're resting in the Savior. For some reason, we think that things like, the, like this won't happen to us anymore, that we're above that, we're beyond that, because we trust in the Savior and we're resting fully in Him. But we are living in a fallen world, 
We are products of the fall. The fall has marred everything. And so we find that even right here, even in their daily provision and trusting in the Savior, we find now that their life is in chaos because the son dies, a product of the fall, and Elijah now cries out. Friends, listen, you may be like me in this, in this epidemic that we're, this pandemic that we're in right now. I am so tired of being locked up and I want to scream out. But somehow, sometimes I think that's unholy. How can I cry out to God? And yet you can. Don't we read that in the Psalms over and over? How long, O Lord, how long will you do this or that? And we find it here too. It's okay for us to cry out in our chaos, in our frustration, in, in our pain, in our suffering, in the darkness of our situation, to cry out to the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Please give me some answers. And that's exactly what he does. In this particular passage here, friends, there's what's called a chiasm in this passage. A chiasm is a literary device, and it's just like a, a literary crisscross where a, an author will make a statement, and then he'll repeat that same statement at the bottom. He'll make an A statement, and then a B statement, and then a C statement. Then he'll repeat the B, and then he'll repeat the A. So it's like a crisscross that goes back and forth. And the, the phrase at the center is what becomes emphatic, the point that the author is trying to make. And we find that here. The widow speaks to Elijah in verse 18. What have you against me, O man of God? Have you come just to reveal all of my sin, to bring it back to my memory? That's, her, that's the A statement. But look in verse 24. She comes and she speaks again. Now I know you are a man of God, she says. The B statement, we find Elijah takes the son and goes upstairs. And then the B statement is repeated when Elijah, after the boy is brought back to life, comes back down the stairs. The C statement, the center, the emphatic point, the point I want you to cling to today is verse 21 and verse 22. Elijah stretches himself out over the child and he cried out to the Lord in his time of chaos, in his dark place, in his difficult, uncertain situation. He cries out and then look verse 22. And the Lord answered. The Lord heard him. He listened and the Lord answered. The Lord speaks hope to us today, friends, through his holy, infallible and inerrant word. Ralph Davis, one of the commentators, put it like this. Yahweh is victor over dearth and death. That is the Savior. That is the one that we worship even this day. And it brings us to that last statement, doesn't it? Verse 24, the woman says to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord is in your mouth and it is true. It's truth. She just now coming to that realization? Had she not heard the word before? No, no, I don't believe that's what the, the passage is saying. She had heard the word. Elijah had been speaking it. She, she had been, or he had been staying with her and he had been speaking that truth. She saw in that drama of the daily provision of the oil and the, the flour 
She had heard the word. She had seen the word lived out in his protection and provision for her. What she is saying is, I thought that I heard that word, but now, now I have a deeper understanding of it. I, it's as if I had never heard it before because now I know it is true. And friends, that's what we need today. I know the word. I haven't taken my black pen out and put, in line, and put lines through it. But now perhaps, friends, in our uncertain times, this dark place that we find ourselves in today, can we say, I, now I know it like I've never known it before. I know it in a greater way today than I knew yesterday that your word, O Lord, is true. Many of you know that I'm a fly fisherman. Back in, uh, in Texas, where I used to live, the closest river that I could get to to fly fish is called the Blue River in Tishomingo, Oklahoma. And there was a place on that river that was my favorite spot. I would come down this hill and I would step into the river and I would walk back upstream and I would be in water about waist deep, maybe a little bit deeper than waist deep. And there was this huge rock that I would make my way out to and I would stand up on that rock and then the water would just barely even cover my boots because the rock was that high. And I would stand on that rock and I would begin to cast my fly out into this deep pool where many times there would be just fish after fish. But all too often, I would get out there and I would begin to fish. And if I caught something for a while, when it stopped or if it didn't even start, sometime soon, I would inevitably do the same thing every time. And that is I would turn and I would step off of that rock back down into the deep in search of going to the place where I thought would be the better place to fish. I would be standing on that secure rock but I would give that up in search of something that I was trying to find myself. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. That's the song that you're about to sing. And that is what we find in 1 Kings 17. This whole picture of this child being resurrected to new life. Elijah is a picture of Israel. There is our hope as the new Israel that we are standing on a solid rock, not in the deep, but on a solid rock. The rock is Christ, and he speaks to us today. Rest in him. Trust in him. Believe that he cares for you, that he's giving you confidence, and that he is drawing you ever closer to himself so that we too will get through this all the way to glory. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a beautiful picture of your gospel of grace that you give to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you that you speak to us, Lord, through your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Seal these truths to our mind today, that we may know them in a greater way, in a way that we've never known them before. Do that for your glory's sake, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.